Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Personal stuff is totally in bounds and people just listen and they, they don't try to solve a problem for you. I might be like, I'm red today. I didn't get any sleep. I'm stressed about this thing. I'm not sure I'm going to get it done or this thing's happening personally. I'm worried about a friend who's not well. And it requires a certain level of vulnerability and you've got to have a trust comfort level. But that's another thing. Like as leaders, the best thing you can do is demonstrate this kind of behavior so that other people know it's okay to do it. Welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast, brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. If you didn't know, it's late August 2020. That means you might be going on month six of the forced onboarding of remote work that we've been experiencing this summer. When COVID hit, there was a rapid scramble to figure things out and move forward. You may have had inflated expectations and thought, hey, this is kind of exciting. I think I'm more productive working remote. Now you might find yourself stuck in the trough of disillusionment. You might be frustrated facing new problems you didn't anticipate, and just plain tired. And now you're trying to figure it out. How do I move from survival and just getting by back to the world of optimized productivity? This is a conversation from one of our community's past events featuring Doug Gaff, VP of Engineering at Zapier, and Emma Tang, Engineering Manager at Stripe to discuss optimizing productivity for remote engineering teams. We were overwhelmed with questions that came in from our community and had to do a follow-up recording with Doug and Emma, which is why you'll see we have two episodes this week. Our first conversation covers high bandwidth communication, innovation accounting, preventing developer burnout, influencing teams, and communicating priorities. Our bonus follow-up conversation further digs into measuring productivity through waterlining and Kaplan-Meier estimating, hashtags in communication, remote one-on-one -on -one best practices, and Doug shows us some of the creative ways he applies Zapier integrations for his personal productivity. Enjoy our conversation with Doug Gaff and Emma Tang. It's really nice to meet you, Doug. I know we've been introduced already, but it's always nice to put a face to the name. Nice to meet you too. I personally am really excited to join this session. I know Zapier is one of the best fully remote companies out there. I know there's going to be a lot of great lessons to learn right here. And specifically, I want to learn about like what your philosophy around remote work is. And also feel free to dig into the nitty gritty tactics of how things are. One thing that's been a challenge for Stripe is that we have a very strong remote culture, but going to fully remote is actually something that's very new to us. Do y'all do remote offsites in these days? And how does that yeah. usually go? What's worked and what's not worked? 
This is something I've experimented with since I since I uh, took over engineering here. I've done it twice now, and we call them remote retreats. What it really feels is more like a hackathon. So I can only, I can only speak for engineering. I, I'm not going to try to cover the other departments, but the engineering retreats feel like hackathons. And so the way we structured it is essentially there people contribute a bunch of different project ideas for things that they want to spend the week on, and the instructions are completely clear your calendar. There's no product deliverables. There's absent like a major outage or something. There's no, you know, production work that we're going to be doing and decide what you want to work on. We organized around teams. So we said, you don't have to pair with your team, but because like I said, we're in 30 something countries from a time zone perspective, you have to, your teams already know how to work together from a time zone perspective. So we encourage people to organize into teams and some people floated around and then people just did a hackathon essentially. So that's the thing that's worked the, the best. The first time I did it last year, we tried to mix in retreaty style things like keynotes and, and workshops and stuff like that. And they weren't as great. Like it's, you can't replace the camaraderie of an in-person event. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes it's better not to try. Like we did have like a happy hour and stuff, but again, happy hour is a different hour for when you're 24 seven, it's a different hour. So yeah. um, that doesn't totally work either, but we still tried some of it, but it, it's better to acknowledge that you can't do some of those things and mm-hmm. instead play to your strengths, which is we just cleared our calendars. We've got a bunch of ideas. Let's crank on some stuff for the week. And we did like 25 different projects wow. in the retreat we did a couple of months ago. So That's really incredible. Awesome. I'm going to pivot a little bit. In terms of like communication, ensuring that it's clear, ensuring that it's high bandwidth, ensuring that things are coming across the right way, what are some tips and tricks for, for us to ensure the communication piece is there? Zapier is a written culture and it's a reading and writing culture. So you have to like to read and you need to get good at writing to be successful here. That's a muscle you have to develop. And we have a lot of things that are structured around this. So we, everybody writes a Friday update, for example, it can be short and sweet. Like this is what, this was my top priority for the week. Here's what I got done on it. Here's what I'm planning for next week. And maybe a little bit more stuff like people talk about what they're going to do on the weekends, which is a social thing here's a window into my personal life. Here's what I'm going to do on the weekend. But we have an internal blogging tool that we built to support this. It does other things, but one of the things it does is it provides a structure for writing these updates. We do written documentation for all decisions. So we'll create a DACI framework if we've got to make a, whether it's a technical decision or a major team restructure or something like that, we create a DACI around it so that we gather inputs. We typically structure a few different options and people can weigh in on the options but that's also very written focused. The other big thing is that in co-located companies or in multi-site companies, hallway conversations tend to dominate, right? Mm-hmm. You have these serendipitous conversations and they, and they produce information. Those don't happen obviously in a fully remote environment, but you can still get one-to-one kind of conversations that happen, whether it's over Slack or whether you have a Zoom conversation. And a really important part of translating that for visibility is that when something like that happens and it's applicable for more than the two people who had it, you have to be really deliberate about popping into a public channel and saying, hey, we just had this conversation. Here's a quick summary of what we talked about. We Here's the actions that we're going to take next or whatever. But you really have to constantly be thinking about yeah. communication uh, in this whole process. Most people have the structures in place for this already in their company, mm-hmm. even if you're, if you're normally in an office together. So lean into those structures really heavily right now and make sure you're writing a lot of stuff down and spreading it as widely as possible would be my advice. Yeah, that makes sense. So much sense. At Stripe, we've always had a very strong remote culture and we'd like to say default to transparency. So mm-hmm. if you're having a conversation, you're ma- making a decision, if you are 
just got on a meeting with other stakeholders, like always put in a place where there's maximum transparency. So public channels over private channels, emails over slacks. So anything that you can default to transparency is really important for us. The other thing that what you said mentioned rang a bell is we have this thing called decision logs where (laughs) where even for small decisions on the engineering side, we log what we considered, why we made that decision and whether it makes sense to reconsider it at a different time. So in that case, when even when there's like new teammates joining, they can have a sense of continuity to see what's going on. Yeah, that sounds exactly like our DACs. It sounds like you're doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. The other thing I felt was really useful, and this is not directly related to communication, but like when you're in the office, you just hear like random conversations going on and you pick up on clues and and choose what's important to you and what's not. You have to be much more conscious of it when you're working remote. You have to pick what's important to you and set notifications to ping you on on certain things. So we have a lot more get like alerts on different things going on (laughs) just to be more like contextually aware. Yeah, for sure. One of the things, pieces of advice I give to people when they start at Zapier is part of the art of working here is figuring out what you can ignore Mm -hmm. and figuring out what you need to pay attention to because there's so, we also have the default to transparency value and Mm -hmm. quite literally everything is public. Like the only private channels in Slack are hiring channels and Mm -hmm. manager channels. Everything else is public, including the company financials. So Pretty much anything you could possibly want to learn about, you can learn with your accounts in Zapier. And you can't consume everything. There's too many Slack channels. There's too much information. So you got to balance that. Yeah, I do think transparency is awesome, but it also means you've got to filter really well. That's right. In this new world of everybody being fully remote, how do we ensure that engineers still feel connected to what the company is about and um, feel like just connected to each other as well as to the company as well and the mission? Yeah. This is probably the hardest part of remote work, feeling connected. We have a variety of things that we, that try to simulate this. The retreats, the in-person retreats are certainly an anchor for us, like getting together and seeing people in person, discovering how tall or short people are, like that's that's (laughs) the funniest thing that you can never really tell. Um, For many people, it's the first time they've ever seen their team in person. So it's a little, there's a lot of socializing that happens there. So in the spaces in between those things, we have a variety of things that we do for connectivity. So making sure that you're doing okay falls first to your manager. Like we put a a premium on one time, we have training on it, like how to do good one-on-ones and you're expected to do them weekly with, with all of your direct reports. And it's your manager's job to make sure that you're feeling connected, that you understand your responsibilities, that Mm. any concerns you have that are being addressed, like the people management side is there's more requirement, like when you're in a fully remote environment, but we have a lot of other stuff too. So we have a lot of channels So our water cooler simulation is in Mm. the fun channels and Slack. So we have a variety of affinity channels. We have employee resource groups. So for affinity groups like LGBTQ and women and Zapier and stuff like that. We have affinity groups specifically for groups that want to organize around a particular affinity. We have donut chats, which are the automated pairings of chats that you get together with people that in, in the company that you maybe haven't met. We have mental health channels. So people that are struggling with mental health stuff like anxiety or something like that, they, they'll come into these channels and again and just talk about if they're having a bad day or they're really struggling with something. They talk through it and other people give them support. It's a very empathetic environment that we try to create. Again, empathy is one of our core mm-hmm. five values too. So we really try to weave that into the culture and the behavior of everyone. The other thing that we do is we try to set clear advice on work-life boundaries in the remote world. So it's in all of our onboarding presentations and 
we call each other out on it. If I'm working late, <laughs> if I'm on a Slack channel, one of, my, one of my directors would be like, why are you working? Go away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so that kind of stuff, that's really good behavior. Because again, it's a 24-7 company and you can always find somebody working here that, and, and you got to be able to turn it off. So these are some of the things that we do to both take care of people and mm-hmm. maintain connectivity. And then of course there's, People still do like beer Fridays virtually and, and they have gaming sessions and stuff like that. There's a lot of spot things that happen in the organization. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. So, so we're still kind of learning the ropes of going fully remote here. So I think the first instinct that many companies actually go to is like, we need to schedule more synchronous hangout things so that people can simulate what the office feels like. So we have a lot of teams right now I started to do these synchronous hangout Zoom sessions where people come in and out. Some teams are trying out the, I think the GitHub thing where they play music in the background and people just work on their own laptops the whole time and people can talk if they want to. So for us, you know, it's kind of paradoxical, but like after we got into the pandemic, because our just human interaction is so limited outside of work, the main source of human interaction actually is coming from work. And we're also doing less work stuff and more of just hangouts and like game time and all that. That's so awesome. in a sense, yeah, <laughs> in a sense, it feels like we're, it's a good chance to feel even more connected or build that connection even stronger for folks within each other and also with the company. So that's been really good. We, we're still trying to figure out, we've tried icebreaker video. We've also tried like code names. These are all pretty good options if you want to. <laughs> yeah, we've done yeah. that too. We, we, we've tried the like the hangout in a room together and just mm-hmm. chat when you want to chat. Uh, definitely during the retreat that happened quite a bit as well. Yeah. Uh, and different people have different working styles. I'm definitely one of these people who likes to be around people. So remote work is somewhat of a challenge for me. Non-pandemic, I would just go and sit in a coffee shop, even if if I didn't have a lot of meetings or whatever that day, just to physically be around people. We have also tried to experiment with that. But again, different people need different needs there, I think. Mm-hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about that. As an extrovert, when you first went full remote, what are the most important things that you had to change or mindset that you had to set? Really have to be deliberate about uh, people time for me, like I have to schedule it. So I would schedule things uh, after work. I live just outside of Boston. I'm right on the subway line. So mm-hmm. I would go, you know, I'm going to go meet somebody in Boston for the evening or something like that, or schedule something locally here in my town outside of Boston. I had to be really deliberate about that and force myself, even if I was tired at the end of the day saying, this is important. Like this will give you a second wind. So that's definitely for me, one thing, like I said, going to coffee shops and sitting around people is also really helpful for me. Just so it feels a little bit like I'm in an office that way, even if I'm not actually talking <laughs> to anybody. And I certainly thrive on the retreats. Uh, those are a lot of fun as well. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, as a professed introvert, honestly, this has been really great for me in a lot of ways. <laughs> I've become more productive in a lot of ways, but I still do miss hanging around people and being in the office. One thing that I felt was really interesting when I was reading up on Zapier's approach to measuring productivity is there's these concepts at Zapier that is useful to understand like how the team is doing, like to keep the, a pulse on things. I was wondering as a VP of engineer, like are there specific metrics or tools or processes you use to, to gauge whether people are being productive or not, especially in a remote setting? Yeah, so this is an evolving thing. We're still learning how to do this. This is new to my arrival here. I've been trying to more better quantify productivity and outcomes and stuff like that. So we've always had something called change logs, which are they're like release notes, but it's more formalized in our in that blogging tool I was talking about earlier, where people announce stuff that they're doing, whether it's customer-facing work or internal-facing changes that they're releasing. And those come weekly. Like oh, there's a, a, a topic in our blogging platform where you can read about change logs. So that's what we've had up to this point. 
Mm -hmm. um, what I was really interested in is more what I would call innovation accounting. So I want to know how much time we're spending on fixing one, one set of bugs or technical debt versus how much we're investing in initiatives versus how much we're dealing with some new architectural thing. Like I'm trying to get a better sense of the spend across the organization. We're just doing Jira labels right now, but we're ingesting it into our business intelligence uh, mm -hmm. system to try to better map out how we're spending our, our energy. We're also doing some portfolio management experiments right now. So I talked about measuring on the back end. This is more planning on the front end to just do a little bit better mathematical planning up front for how much time we want to spend on things. And then we can look at how much we've actually spent on the back end. This is working so-so. Like, to be totally honest with you, it's not fully baked yet. We have pretty good labeling so far. We have reports and... Mm -hmm. Certainly my leadership team is looking at them. I don't think they're at a point where the entire they're explainable to the entire company because there's still a, the granularity is not right. Sometimes it's too granular and mm -hmm. the person who's not inside of that particular product area is not going to know what they're talking about. And sometimes it's not granular enough. So we're trying to work through that. Part of what we're trying to do, though, is we're going to try to take that information and then use it for capacity planning. So we, we launched something called a waterline analysis last year, which was basically here's all the stuff that we're working and here's all the stuff we want to work on. And we only have capacity for stuff above the waterline. The charts in Looker have this exact view. Here's the stuff above the waterline. Here's the stuff below the waterline. And the idea when this is working well is we can look at the portfolio that we plan. We can look at how we're actually spending and we can have priority conversations. This is above the waterline. This is below. Is that the right priority? And can we flip them? But again, this is very much a work in progress. Like it's not, uh, we're still baking it and, and getting the disciplines built around this. So it's not perfect yet. Maybe one more thing I'll say. We also, we launched SLOs this year as well for all of our services to make sure that we have a, a sense of security and performance, reliability, that kind of thing. So that we have a mathematical measurement for what we think good is supposed to look like so that ultimately we can keep an automated way, an automated measurement on if someone, if we do a big change to the code, like to the Zapier editor, and suddenly the SLO on performance drop or the measurement on performance drops dramatically, we'll know that we violated the SLO and we need to go back and see what happens. So that's another thing that we, we're just putting in this place now. We have most of the measurements ready to go, but we haven't got the adaptive behavior yet to say, oh, something broke, we need to fix it. But that's generally how I'm trying to keep a pulse on things. It's mathematical because the company's... 350 people, right? The engineering team's 125. Like it's getting to the point where it's harder to look at, at a spot area and get a good sense. You really have to look at it mathematically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to reflect on how Stripe does this. I think Stripe is, for better or for worse, we're still very much evolving our processes on how we're tracking this. And some of the things that's been really helpful for us is we have execution tracking um, on all of the, the different pillars. And we have like weekly or bi-weekly sync ups on the statuses of the P0 projects. So we basically have some level of accountability and system to, to, to make sure that those are executed upon. We also have a really strong concept of SLOs and reliability. We have an actual separate pillar outside of infrastructure and product that's just reliability. And they're accountable for making sure everything across the board is still stable and secure. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. 
These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I want to ask you like a catch-all kind of question. (laughs) What would you say for companies that are very new to remote? Like they might not even have a remote culture set up in the beginning, but now we're thrown in this world where not everybody's fully remote. What are some things that they should think about or just optimize to make sure things are, are better for their employees? My usual response to this question is first and foremost, you have to trust your people. Like the, the horror stories you hear from companies that are probably hopefully no one on this call, but some companies are like, you must show up at this particular time and log in and say you're here and stuff like that. And, and like stuff that tries to, where, where your productivity is measured by your presence, that doesn't work in a fully remote environment. If that's a cultural thing at a company that you have, you have to shed that. They have to say, we hired these people, we trust them, we expect them to be productive and get their job done. And we're not going to monitor like how much time you're in Slack or how much, whether you're online or not online. That's just, that's not something we even talk about at Zapier. We just, we trust our people. We expect you to do your job. So if you have any weird, like cultural anti-patterns, those need to be shaken out. Like I used to say, you know, when this pandemic started, I said, don't try to fix your cultural problems right now. Like just manage through the remote transition. It looks like we're going to be in this for a while. Like the, the pandemic keeps having hot spots, and people aren't totally sure how to reopen yet. So I, I think I'm changing my advice now. And if you have these weird cultural patterns that aren't adapting themselves to remote, you need to start tackling them head on and say, okay, we're remote now, and we're going to be partially remote for a long time at a minimum. Let's figure out how to do this, and let's fix these weird things that aren't compatible with the remote. So trust is a key thing that I would say that you have to tackle. The communication stuff we talked about earlier, where you default to written communication and default to transparency, you have to be really, really deliberate about that right now, because you have to still make people feel included. And what might have been resolved very easily through a a hallway conversation now is going to take more deliberate work to resolve. So you have to really be focused on that if you're finding yourself remote for the first time. So those are a couple of things that jumped jumped to mind for me that I would focus on. totally makes sense. I wholeheartedly agree with that, especially about editing your culture, default to transparency. At Stripe, one of the other things we do, which is exactly in line with that, is like setting things right in the beginning. So our onboarding process is also super rigorous. And we're very careful about the message we're we're giving to every single new hire that joins in, that we are writing-oriented, we are remote-friendly, we care about building this trust and not having this culture where everybody needs to be online the whole time. So as managers as well, you have to repeat the message often to make sure that it really sinks in. Um, and once it does, everybody does live that culture. Yeah. Another thing, well, I like to believe most people are good at this, but start off your one-on-ones asking how people are doing personally. Like just check in with people's you know, lives. Like everyone else, like some people have it worse than others working from home. Some people have... Yeah. The daycares are closed, the schools are doing remote learning, like that uh, places extra burden on parents. Some people are like by themselves completely all the time and, and loneliness is ratcheting up. Like you got to really check in on people's mental health too. Should be doing that anyway, but it's especially tricky right now. So I would yeah. add, don't forget the human component to this. So we're not just workers for just for the sake of work. Yeah. Very, very plus one on that. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Doug, for 
a rapid fire deep dive into things that help optimize remote teams. We have a ton of questions that have come through the Q&A. So with that, Henrique, come on up and, and dive into your challenge. Thanks, Doug and Emma. This has been very helpful, very actionable items I learned from this discussion. My question is about preventing burnouts. You briefly touched on some of the tactics you have to prevent developer burnout, but can you elaborate a little bit more? How do you spot it? How do you handle it? How do you have that conversation with the developer? So we've sometimes spotted it and sometimes we haven't. That's what I'll say to you first. Like we had one person who resigned a, a couple months ago who was burning out and we didn't see it happening. It's tricky for sure. There's obvious like technical things you can do. So if you see uh, pull requests and stuff like that happening at odd hours and also happening at, during that person's normal working hours, they're probably doing putting in extra time. And if that's happening regularly, that's a good sort of mathematical indicator. You see them on Slack. Uh, a lot at strange hours too. Like I mentioned earlier, like having one of my directors saying, why are you working? And I said, in, in fairness, I was sitting in my living room having a glass of wine. So it wasn't totally working, but he still said, you should stop working and go do something else. So uh, holding each other accountable for that is the second thing I would look for. And then the third thing is it's really critical for the manager to like legit check in on how the person's doing. Ask them about how's work-life balance, especially right now. How's it going for you personally? And Zapier's pretty good at this. Like we're we're a very empathetic culture uh, and we work really hard to have some more holistic management style. So we're pretty good at this, but sometimes we, we miss, right? And so checking in on that is good. And another thing that's really helpful that we do on the executive team, I do it with my staff and I presume they do it with their teams and their teams of teams, uh, is we do a red, yellow, green check-in on the meetings. This was really helpful during the height of the pandemic when we were super nervous about how's this gonna impact the business, how, how are people are adapting to it. And basically the, the format is you go around the room and you just say, red, yellow, green, how are you doing? And you can elaborate on what you're doing. Personal stuff is totally in bounds and people just listen and they, they don't try to solve a problem for you. And so I'm, I might be like, I'm red today. I didn't get any sleep. I'm stressed about this thing. I'm not sure I'm gonna get it done or this thing's happening personally. Uh, I'm worried about a friend who's not well. And it requires a certain level of vulnerability and you've got to have a trust comfort level. But that's another thing, like as leaders, the best thing you can do is, is demonstrate this kind of behavior so that other people know it's okay to do it. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I, I super echo the part about really checking in with folks to see on a human level, like how are they doing? Are they burning out? One thing that I've seen a lot is there are folks who feel a sense of responsibility for the team, right? So things come up and they're like, if nobody else is stepping up, I need to step up. I will continue to step up. And they accumulate a lot of things on their plate and they're working all the time. So that's when a manager needs to step up and be like, I really understand where, where you're coming from, but you need to slow down, ask other folks, help them take over some piece of the work that, that they're doing to really low jet them a little bit. The other thing is, as Doug said, like setting up a culture where working over time is, like, is not a, a, a good thing, you know? We all sign off our laptops. I encourage all the senior engineers to do so to model it for junior engineers. And just having that culture on, on your team, on your org, where everybody just signs off and does not open the laptop when they're not at work is really important. Thanks, guys. Next up, we're going to be inviting up Clayton. Morning, everyone from Australia. So my question is about influencing teams, especially leadership teams. So I really like the way that Zapier sounds quite structured and, and almost methodical and, and regimented and meetings are scoped and documented. But where does influencing, like, where do you fit that into your method of work? And do you have any tips on doing that in a remote leadership team? 
what type of influence are you talking about? Can you give a specific example? Uh, nudging the group's thinking specifically where you're really trying to take a contentious topic to a point to more of a consensus. So I guess taking the group's thinking from somewhere where they're generally disagreeing to generally getting a decision out. I guess the early stage is the influence phase before you come to the final decision. I hope that makes it clearer. Y yes. So I... My answer is going to feel a little unfair because Zapier's culture is different than most of the other cultures that I've been at. The culture itself is very egalitarian, so anyone can suggest anything, and people do. Admittedly, there's a different comfort level. You have to be here a certain amount of time before you really understand the culture. But even like I've seen new people who are a few weeks in suggesting like big things right out of the gate. So we seem to have a culture that just encourages that level of feedback. I, if feedback is one of our one of our five values, of course, but people just feel like they need to speak up. It's been incredibly prevalent with the, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests, and there's a lot of passion in the organization for how we can better serve underrepresented groups in our Zafir community and more abroad. And there's just a ton of great material coming from this. We have a little bit of an embarrassment of riches sometimes in the, in the number of ideas that come uh, from the company. So I'll take the contentious thing. So we really do seek feedback on things that are contentious. And the ideal sort of planning around, say, an initiative has got a certain level of top down, like the executives want to see something. You know, we, so we're pushing for something and a certain level of bottom up, like the team wants to do something. And there's an ideal split of that when it's working well. Sometimes it's the balance is out, out, is out of whack or sometimes we'll say, we really should do this and the team will be like, why? Like we have no context on that. But the important thing is that generally the teams are pretty good about asking why if they don't, if they don't believe or they don't understand something. But it's a continuum muscle you have to develop, I would say. If you don't have that culture, it's a lot harder, right? Because you're managing up I would recommend maybe a book like Crucial Conversations or something like, find a framework for having contentious discussion. We have training around this. So the way one of our courses is around how to deliver difficult feedback. And it takes you through a process for how to have a conversation that's, that stays in facts, that talks about how you experience something that gets to resolution. So we have a mechanism that we try to teach people for how to do this. So that's another vector you can go, but sometimes it's on you, if the, especially if an organization is, doesn't have a great culture around this, it's a muscle you have to develop yourself. And there's a lot of material like Crucial Conversations books, that those style of books that will give you tools for having these difficult conversations. So uh, Emma, you want to add anything? At Stripe, we have, it's one of our values. They really drill you in during the onboarding throughout everyday process. And one of them is called disagree and commit. And we take that pretty seriously. So there's going to be many cases where we just cannot reach um, an agreement on something. It becomes very contentious. But as long as we get to a point where we're like, we all have good intentions, we need to make a decision. I think culturally disagree and commit is so ingrained that oftentimes we can just break through and be like, I disagree with you, but I'm going to support you regardless. And we'll find out later on if this was the right decision and we'll reevaluate next time we're making the decision, but we have to move forward. So that's been really useful as a cultural value for us. The other thing is we have something called an unblock process. And this is where you really can't resolve it between you and the other teams or different organizations. There's an actual like a step-by-step -step guide on how you write an unblock, gather evidence, talk to different people, write up these written up unblock documents, and then share them with whoever your unblock like person is. Like, so for every org is usually like the least common ancestor of your two orgs and you actually do that. And what most people find is in the process of writing the unblock process, they figure out how to move forward, if that makes sense. 
and it automatically resolves on its own because you, you have to get really rigorous on the pros and cons of everything you're talking about. So that's also been really helpful. But I agree, that's, that's always a little difficult. Wonderful. Thank you, Clayton, for joining us all the way from Australia. This next question comes from George. Do you have any recommendations around communicating priorities, especially with multiple groups and teams? Yes. I mentioned the sort of bottom-up planning process earlier in the call. For We do a quarterly roadmap planning, first of all, that's what I'll say. And the teams build, and by team, the team and their engineering, product, engineering manager, product manager, and designer trio, leadership trio, they build their roadmap. But these roadmaps, they, oft, they typically work in service of the, the top four initiatives that the company is working on right now. So in the executive planning process that we do in the fall, we, last year we planned for four big initiatives that, they, that we want to do across the company. And each one of these, most of the teams have something that rolls up into the initiatives. From a prioritization perspective, what we do is we check on these initiatives monthly and we sanity check the priorities in them. Are we working on the right thing? Is it focused on the core of the initiative? For stuff that doesn't roll into an issue, we also do a monthly check-in, like a business review style thing. Okay, we're in this particular area, like one area is our top of funnel work for how we get new customers into Zapier. There's a business review around that monthly where we also have a sanity check on the priorities because every other company, we have a million things and not enough people to do them. So you have to have this debate about what is most important. This is a kind of a new, like, like a new muscle. We've been really practicing this very deliberately in 2020, even before the pandemic. And we're getting better at it. There's still, I was talking to the CEO today about it. I'm like, oh, I feel like I play whack-a-mole with this problem. We, we get things really focused in one area and then something pops up where too many things are happening in parallel in another area and you have to go deal with that. But it is, uh, he said, this is tending a garden. Like we're trying to get, keep this focus and not have ourselves spread so thin. That's a philosophy here. Like we don't want people burning themselves out, which means we can't do everything. So we've got to pick the right stuff. So again, clear initiatives of the company, what's important to the company is the, the key here. And then uh, clear connections between those initiatives and what individual teams are working on is the second thing. And then the third thing is having those regular priority discussions for the instances where there are conflicts of who's working on what and what, we're, what we have capacity to do. That's what I would say. Thank you so much, George, for your question. Doug, I'm jumping right into another rapid fire question. You were talking about innovation accounting earlier, and a lot of people have been talking about they're struggling with measuring and tracking. Are there any health metrics that you track for your teams? For instance, like developer productivity or developer happiness. Are there anything that you're looking at right now that helps you get a sense of what's going well? Yeah, let's talk about happiness first. So we do two surveys per year through CultureAmp that, that tap into how people are doing holistically. And we also have pulse surveys that happen fairly regularly. Those are really good for getting a pulse on how the organization is doing, not just about productivity, but just general happiness. We did something special for COVID, especially because we wanted to understand people's personal life situations so that we knew we were creating programs that were respectful of that because we didn't want people trying to do everything, like take care of their family and, and, and undo a full 40-hour week job as well. So surveys are like one, one mechanism. Productivity, I've been looking at statistics on pull requests just to track them over time to just i see that that's a whole other conversation but there but but that's been an interesting that was my remote retreat project was to pull a bunch of pull requests and look at data since zapier was founded essentially and look at look for trends the innovation accounting thing is looking at inflow rate and outflow rates of tickets in jira to see if you're like increasing to infinite tech debt, right? So that, and in some teams we are, like some teams that the tickets coming in versus the tickets going out are getting worse, especially teams that are service oriented, like SRE and data and stuff like that. So that's another thing we're looking at right now. 
Uh, I say this is a work in progress because we haven't figured out totally how to manage it just yet. We're still looking at the data, trying to figure out what the ideal is, but we haven't totally figured out how to manage it. Those are three things that we do. That's great. Thank you. So for people where this is new and the rules of remote work have changed, do you have any final words of wisdom for what you would encourage people to focus on to help them continue to optimize their productivity? So we have a, an ebook on Zapier's site that you can check out that gives that talks about some of the stuff that I've talked about. It's, it's not really engineering specific. It's just generally how to build a remote company. But I would take a look at that next. There's a ton of great material in there. We just revised it uh, about a month ago, I think, maybe six weeks ago, and just published a new version of it. Keep reading up on this. We like to advertise this. We like to push remote work on other folks because we believe in it very strongly. So I would do more research and and then propose things to your company. Like you find something in that book or from, from this talk or whatever other talks you're attending on remote and go to your manager, go to your director, go to your VP and say, I think we should try X. Let's just experiment. It doesn't have to be a full up change. Let's just try this for a little while and see if it works. That's the only way you're going to really like get positive change and get people being more comfortable with remote, especially if you want it to be permanent. If you want to have a mixture of remote forever, you're going to have to really socialize that now. And there's a ton of great material to lean in on. I would do that. That's why I leave you with. Great. Thank you. Um, really great, really great advice there. Emma, thank you so much for guiding a rapid fire conversation, covering so much ground for great insights from Doug. And Doug, thank you for sharing your time, your wisdom, and your expertise with everybody here. I know I can walk away from this conversation with a little bit more confidence that we can get out of this trough of disillusionment and into the land of sustained productivity within the world of remote work. Here's a quick recap of our takeaways from our conversation with Doug and Emma. Good writing creates clear, high-bandwidth communication. Here's some of the different structures that you can apply. Friday updates that highlight what's done plus next week priorities are really good structure to introduce. The DACI decision-making framework, that's D-A-C-I if you're unfamiliar, to document all decisions. And default to transparency. Choose public over private channels and send conversation summaries with defined actions and next steps. It's your job as a manager to make people on your team feel connected to the company. Check in and ask how people are doing. Set clear boundaries between work and life. They're easily blurred while remote. And be deliberate and schedule time to connect with people. Productivity as measured by presence doesn't work in remote. While we may have spent the early parts of this just getting by and ignoring cultural pain points, It's time to tackle the cultural patterns in your org head-on that aren't adapting to remote work. Be deliberate about trust, communication, documentation, and defaulting to transparency. Here's how to prevent developer burnout. Well, the best way to prevent it is to look for the warning signs before it happens. Are they submitting pull requests at odd hours? Are they regularly putting in extra time? Are they on Slack at weird times? All of these indicators will help you identify burnout before it actually happens. Another highly effective way to get a pulse on your team is by using the red, yellow, green, how are you doing team check-in, where everyone goes around and gives a quick personal update. This gives space for people to share what's going on with them and also creates a really unifying and connecting moment for your team. Here are a few metrics to help you track your team health. Biannual surveys through things like CultureAmp help get a holistic pulse on the company. Pulse surveys help get a read on the overall org health. For productivity, pull requests can show trends also, and measuring the inflow and outflow of JIRA tickets can help get a read on tech debt. 
If you want an even deeper dive into the world of optimizing engineering productivity, you should definitely check out our bonus episode with Doug and Emma. They do a deeper dive into measuring productivity through innovation accounting, waterlining, and they explore really creative ways to increase communication bandwidth. You might never look at hashtags and Zapier integrations the same way. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.